This episode is sponsored by Podgo. We use Podgo to monetize all of our podcasts and get paid within 24 hours. So if you're a podcast, want to get paid, be sure to check out Podgo. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. That's Podgo dot C-O. And be sure to enter our name in the How Did You Hear About Podgo section of the application. See you guys in the episode. It's the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you to episode number 49, where today... We're going to be talking about the highly, highly anticipated, at least on at least on our end, the rocket science part two. That is so, correct. Yeah. A, a lot of people, interestingly enough, has have actually asked us. Okay, not a lot of people. There were like three, but still people have asked us to, to like, you know, like reminding us to do the rocket science part two. So here we are. Rocket Science Part 2. And so if you're listening to this podcast right now, you probably don't realize this or didn't realize this, but we are recording episode number 49. Yeah. Uh, what is it, like two days after recording yeah. episode number 50? Yeah. <laughs> and this was because we planned to record an episode with just Rehan and I to be posted before another guest episode. But because mm-hmm. we've already had like yeah. three guests, two guests back to back. Yeah. yeah. And so we decided to because we already planned to record another guest episode. So we did that on Thursday. Yeah, that was Thursday, yeah, Thursday night, Thursday yeah. night. And then that episode is going to go up one week. That's going to be today. a really interesting episode. That's like a special episode, episode number 50. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, definitely check it out next week. It was an awesome episode as well. Mm-hmm. And for I guess I won't give any spoilers. Just no, to, don't, just don't, to keep, don't, 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 Just to keep the tension in the air, Yeah, you know? of course. So <clears throat> today, uh, before we get into the podcast, of course, go check us out on Instagram at math.physics.podcast for all of your updates and clips mm-hmm. and all that stuff. But there is another reason why you should go follow us on Instagram, and that is because we've recently, like this week, started going live on Instagram. And True. We didn't like think of going live on Instagram before this week, but I was I was just bored and I said, hey, why don't we just go live and, you know, talk to the people that follow us over there and answer some questions and have some discussions. And so we did that and it was fun. And so we're going to keep doing it. So if you mm-hmm. want to catch us somewhere else than here on the podcast and you can. And also on the live where a lot. I mean, I, I guess, I guess now we're come to this comfort level on the podcast as well, where like we're very, like ourselves. But like on the live, it's not much relating. It's more about us. Like, like for example, like Parker was studying for his electromagnetic uh, test coming up, and he just he was like, "Yeah, let's just go live." So like you know stuff like that, just like you know things we're doing. Maybe you guys want to ask us questions. Like you know that that's always a useful platform. Also. I did want to actually ask, because, I mean, if anyone responds, that would be great. If you would rather have us, like, not rather, but also have us post, like, updates on Twitter. What do you think about that? Do you think that's 
Because I think Twitter is also used by quite a few people. So <laughs> yeah. if you guys think that we should also start, you know, using our Twitter more actively, and then you guys would actually, you know, watch yeah, us or like listen to I us, follow us there. I don't really post on Twitter at all. But no, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah. We can start. We can start if people would rather or would also have us post there. Right. All right. It's all. It's it's about what the people want. I don't know why you say rather instead of rather. Rather, <laughs> rather, rather. Okay. <laughs> anyways, uh, so rocket science. Well, we already yeah. talked about a lot <laughs> of like core concepts in rocket science in the part one. Which, if you haven't seen, the, this is not like a direct continuation of what we've talked about, but rather just you know presenting different ideas. But I do recommend you go check out the first part. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, do whatever you want, I guess. Anyways. <laughs> also, because the first part, like, we talk about, in my opinion, like, we talk about some very fundamental ideas in, like, rocket science. And when I say mm-hmm. rocket science, I know that it might seem specific, but, like, anything relating to, like, space travel, rockets in general, like, all of that stuff we talk about on that episode. And we also talk about, like, pretty deeply that I don't think we're going to go into this one, but like we pretty deeply go into like the physics behind like, you know, how these rockets are orbiting different planets. Like we talk about Kepler's laws. We spoke about the rocket equation. So we spoke about some really cool things. So like definitely go check that out if you haven't. And uh, yeah, I mean, again, as, as, as you said, this is not a continuation, more just different ideas, but uh, very interesting ideas nonetheless. Wait, we forgot again. Oh my. <laughs> I forgot again. Comment oh of the week. Comment There's of the no week. way. All right, here we go. Dude, I we did, do this so often. I did pick out the comment of the week. Yeah, yeah. One, that's what I'm saying. We literally just spoke about it and we forgot it. This so. this comment comes from Brandon Miles, who mm-hmm. watches us on YouTube. And he says, and this was on episode number 47 with uh, mm-hmm. Julian. And he says that it's one of his favorite episodes so far, to be honest. Thank oh, you, wow. Brandon. Thank you. Wow. We wow. do That's awesome. We do try our best to make every episode the best episode so far. So mm-hmm. we appreciate uh, your comments. And if uh, anyone that's listening wants to leave a comment, you have a chance to get shouted out on the podcast like we just did right now. So make sure like, it was a such a it was such a average like like average as in like such a nice comment. So it's, it doesn't even have to be something special or anything. It's just that. You know, it's just a nice comment. Nice. So, some sweet stuff. So thank you. You know, we will we'll always pick you. All right. Picking everyone right now, you know. So <laughs> the first thing we wanted to talk about is a, a project, I guess you can say. Kind of like a mm-hmm. science fair-esque project that was uh, done by NASA, right? And um, incorporates a lot of cool uh, subtopics that we are going to get into. And so, Rehan, if you want to take... Mm-hmm take the lead here okay but before we get into nasa topics and this is actually a nasa topic i'm joking i'm joking this is actually a nasa topic something that just happened two days ago so again for the people listening to it it obviously did not happen two days ago this is on the date of recording this introduction is dragging on no no this is not an introduction this is the podcast this is fully fledged the podcast february 18th 2021 Mm mm-hmm the Perseverance rover landed on Mars after seven months in space. Amazing. So the Perseverance rover, for those of most of you, might have actually watched the live landing. It was very public. Well, 
not the actual images from the landing, but like, you know, the, the, the whole thing happening was very public. It was a very big event that occurred. And um, yeah, it was a very monumental one because the Perseverance rover, uh, rover has a lot of experiments, a lot of, you know, science. Like, I'm not going to get into the exact specifics because even I don't truly know them. But like, it has a lot more to test than the previous rovers before it, such as like, you know, Curiosity, for example. So it touched down February 18th. And the main goals, the major goals for the Perseverance rover is firstly, and I think this would be, this is the most important question we always have, determine whether life existed on Mars. That's first and foremost. You know, how does it do that? It does, does that like by testing rocks, by testing if there are any, I guess, like bacteria, any sort of, it doesn't have to be intelligent life. It just has to be some signs of potential life having been there. Which would be groundbreaking. Which by would the be way. truly groundbreaking, <laughs> right? Then also like, you know, characterizing the climate of Mars, like, you know, seeing if it's apt for hopefully one day human colonization, mm. And obviously, like, we won't be able to go out, you know, breathing that fresh air, Mar Martian air, because we just won't be able to live, at least us right now. Um, but the idea is that, is it okay even to stay in that area? Because, for example, in Venus, we can't even live, like, we can't even stand on the surface because of the <laughs> pressure and the temperature. It'll just kill us. So, like, you know, all of those kind of metrics, all of those kind of calculations is what Perseverance is doing. And I think one of the interesting elements of the perseverance rover mm -hmm. and what sets it apart from the previous mars rover is yeah. that it was sent to mars with one of the objectives of literally gathering information like specifically to like with the goal of sending humans to mm -hmm. mars in the near future mm -hmm. right like we're talking maybe this like, I mean, probably this decade, but definitely into the 2030s. I mean, right? yes, for sure. Like Elon Musk has a much higher, like higher time frame, like lower time frame. Yeah. Like decade for sure. But I'm, I'm saying like, yeah, like sending humans to Mars, to be honest, I'm not going to be <laughs> volunteering to uh, <laughs> take, take part in that uh, trip. I feel like there are, I don't know about like, if you're trying to classify like these science advancements or whatever you want to call them. But I think there are better, bigger, better things we can be doing on earth. But that step has to be taken, right? Every time like the, the Europe, you know, the Europeans colonized Amer the Americas and then going even further back when like Homo sapiens colonized um, Australia um, like colonization is always hard, right? Because initially you send a couple of people and then you send, you know, slowly more and more. And obviously the living conditions in the beginning are going to be very hard and very different. But over time, it gets easier and easier. And as people start living normal lives over on Mars, it's going to be like, hey, man, uh, Last month I was I was in I was on Mars just uh, <laughs> just visiting and then <laughs> right out I'll be like oh cool I was there last year it's, uh, Yo, it's a nice, that would be amazing nice that would be amazing <laughs> but it's gonna be the same as like oh, actually I'm gonna save this for later but um, yeah because I did have like a little thing I'm not gonna spoil it okay, but I did want to okay. talk a little bit about that later 
I'm just saying, but like, also, I think you and I are not the primary targets to be the first one going to Mars. So let me tell you why. Because again, like the field that we're studying is more relating to, you know, like the theoretical physics and like understanding the theory. Now, the people who are going to be going on Mars, much like we actually spoke to Paul Delaney in the last episode about, the people that are going there are probably going to be first, like, you know, geologists. And biologists like, you know, as well. Exactly. Biologists. Understanding the climate, understanding the potential for life on Mars. It's not really going to be a theoretical scientist, <laughs> you know, doing calculations on Mars. Like, no, you can do that yeah. on Earth, too. You know what I mean? So, you and me, not the, not the prime demographic, but I think the first people on Mars will definitely... I don't know. I think there they'll will have be a hard some time to break through. I think they'll have right? a hard time. The first people. I mean, it's not going to be like it's a new planet. What do you expect? Like, I know. It's not. It's, it's not going to be easy. You know, like there is going to be some kind of but something I, that goes wrong. I feel like people like, have like this, this image in their head where it's like, oh, being the first humans on Mars is going to be like like this crazy like movie esque experience. Where like you, you you open up your door and you see like the sunrise on the on the orange planet and everything's gonna be nice and dandy. <laughs> but uh, I don't Imagine know. Imagine though when the first person is born on Mars. Yeah, that's gonna be every crazy. passport. Every passport would have to have planet of birth. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. <laughs> Think about that. Planet of birth. That's kind of cool. Like that's kind of crazy. Yeah, <laughs> like you're like yo, I'm from Mars, yo, like that. Ooh. That would be amazing. Oh, imagine <laughs> that would this. be amazing. Imagine you're born on Mars, you live your entire life on Mars until you're like 15, let's say, and okay. then they're like, oh, um, like obviously you know about Earth because like they they teach you. Yeah, about of course, it. of course. So you it's know essential. about Earth, but like your entire life you've been living on like this on this, this mm-hmm. orange planet. I like, mean that is an ultimate goal, right? I know. Like at that point, but humanity imagine, would have been yeah. Imagine that's pretty crazy. you're 15, you've been living on Mars your entire life, and then they're like, "Oh, we're gonna send you to Earth to like see what it's like," mm-hmm. and then you pull up to Earth and you're like, "God damn, <laughs> this is like the craziest <laughs> not experience." Not what you expect. Ever. It's not what you expect because obviously on Mars, like everything, everything. Or at least in my opinion, I mean, I hope it works this way, but everything should start from the ground up, mm-hmm. you know, like resources, you know, trading, like trading, yeah. like against like one, one another, like all of that should start from like the basics because there, but when I say like... basics, I don't mean like, you know, first century humans, yeah. I'm saying like, there's a lot of, you know, issues with what's happening on earth with, you know, with a lot of things. You know, especially like, you know, dealing with money, dealing with, you know, uh, capitalism and all these different ideas, these notions that were born on Earth. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we should try, probably won't work, but we should try and filter those out if we were to ever live on Mars. But you know what I heard about? Um, Like, what if (laughs) this is what happened? I don't I don't even remember where I heard this from. But what if the humans that go to Mars Let's say they build like a colony of like, I don't know, let's say like 100,000 people on Mars, which is not that okay. much for an entire planet, right? So there's, let's say like three like central cities or whatever. And then what they do is because, you know, everyone that's going to be living on Mars is going to be relatively <laughs> united, <laughs> right? It's mm-hmm. not going to be like 
tribes like primal tribes that are trying to defend their own territory it's going to be more like oh we're all from earth and we're here on mars now but Mm. (laughs) what if they realize that like living on mars can be shaped into something like a, a very good situation much better than the situation that we have on earth right now and what they decide to do is rebel against earth once they once they have the the capacity to go independent right every time the earth tries to like send something to mars or they try to send like more people or i don't know how this would work but basically they just like they just cut off all communications with earth to be honest you're saying it as it's like a bad thing but i think that's actually the goal of what we're trying to achieve no it's we're trying not. to achieve let me let me explain we're trying to achieve a civilization a human civilization that can live on mars independent from earth reason being because when our first trips go to mars like we're always going to be having resources coming from earth always you know like different kinds of like probably foods different kind of you know fuel i guess fuel like methane and stuff can be fueled from mars but like you know a lot of different resources that would be needed for general life so the idea is if we can completely cut those resources out that would be the ideal situation because we but would want what I'm a about. planet on like a, a humanity on a different planet okay i guess the rebellion is different i guess if they rebel <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about that's a different story like a rebellion as in like okay that's a little different they cut that's off, a little different they cut off all communications with earth like any type of like message or any type of uh if earth tries to send something over they're like no Mm -hmm. (laughs) nothing and obviously it's going to be hard for earth to like kindle that (laughs) relationship between the two planets if one Mm -hmm. of them is just refusing uh all communications and we have uh uh, we have gone quite far off from the i know but it's fine (laughs) it's fine i mean it's interesting about mars but like these these conversations are you know to be had on like life in the in the universe kind of i mean like, I, I, don't, I don't think it really matters okay i mean I, at the end of the day at the end of the day it is a podcast we're just <laughs> you know two people talking to each other here because a lot of interestingly enough i think i did mess oh i never mentioned this interestingly enough because i just brought it up there were two people actually that told us that sometimes you can make this sort of educational podcast also into kind of like a conversation between two of you so like i think i think and I, and we have mentioned that before and continuing that i think that's uh i think that's that's a good way to go mm-hmm. yeah, yeah definitely definitely okay so did you want to talk talking, about voyager yeah now we can talk about the nasa whoever's on <laughs> video can see my hoodie uh the nasa You're so unique, right? <laughs> okay listen i'm I, I wore it just to show the people i wore it to show the people that i have a nasa hoodie like that, that that's all that's all Very now nice. now you know now you know anyways so maybe one of the most profound missions one of remember i'm not characterizing one of the most profound missions that mars has ever i mean mars not mars <laughs> nasa has ever launched right voyager the voyager missions the the idea for them was to study the outer parts of our solar system right because we could kind of see a lot of things happening around us and like, you know, going to Mars, going to 
going to Venus. It wasn't easy, of course, but the trajectory to get there was a lot sooner. It was a lot faster. So people were like, okay, now let's try to explore the outer regions of our solar system. And that was basically the birth of the Voyager program. Now, originally, there were three Voyager spacecrafts planned. But as you might know, only two have been launched. Because the third one was apparently cancelled and the extra parts and extra money had been put into Voyager 1 and 2. So they actually became even better, okay, which is, which nice. is kind of interesting to think about, you know. So quick, quick fact too. Now, one would think that Voyager 1, being named 1, would have launched before Voyager 2. However, Voyager 1 was released, or not, I keep saying released, it was launched 16 days after Voyager 2. Now, you must be like, well, that's a little interesting because, like, it's it's called one. Do remember, this is all the same program. The numbers are simply to identify what the mission was, mm-hmm. what the primary goal was of that spacecraft, right? So Voyager 2 was simply looking at, like, Jupiter. It was looking at Saturn. It was looking at, like, the systems in general, and but nothing. And it also saw Uranus and Neptune. Mm-hmm. However, Voyager 1's primary goal was to take a very close look at Titan, which is one of Saturn's moons, right? Now, why is this so important? Because Titan, as you guys might know, you know, like the icy planet that might have um, that might have life. A lot of people were talking about that. So the idea is that people started to notice that the atmosphere of Titan, obviously after observation, was a little interesting. So they wanted to check it out a little more, and that was the birth, and that was the main reason of Voyager One. So it was released later because it needed a better trajectory like sometimes you need a call the interplanetary window so you need that interplanetary window to launch and then in that window you're basically you're good to go Mm -hmm. so those were the two very important missions in nasa and these two missions were launched like no you don't say missions are launched (laughs) no i guess the the spacecraft yeah the the two spacecrafts were launched on the specific dates and times that they were because of some calculations that were done in the 1960s. So in the mm-hmm. 60s, they were looking at uh, the orbits of the inner and outer planets. And they, they saw that, hey, in a decade or so, there's going to be a very specific alignment of the outer gas giants um, that will create this, uh, what's it called? Uh, solar highway? No, not solar highway. Like the planetary highway, you know, for like a like gravity, like 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 to help, like in gravity assist. Yeah, like yeah, as, like essentially that's what it's 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 again it's like it's all like about the interplanetary window, right? Like the best, the most optimal time to launch your spacecraft to get in a certain orbit because of the way the planets are. Like it all depends on a very particular time, and obviously it's it's a pretty broad window. It's not like five seconds or something but like Mm -hmm. depending on what you wish to achieve you can calculate the size of the window and usually it can be you know a few hours a few days here and there a few hours that's kind of yeah because like i know it depends like for the iss for example it's you have to get it like within i think like 10 15 minutes or something again i could be wrong but it is a lot shorter is what i'm trying to say but for stuff like interplanetary travel you don't have to be on the dot right is what i'm trying to say like you can be roughly here and there mm-hmm. because it's a lot much larger distances at stake and this window this this uh 
perfect time to send the Voyager and Voyager 1 and 2. Um, only appears every 176 years. And so that's oh, wow. why they actually wow. started like, working on the project and not rushing, but I'm saying like they calculated it in the 60s and they're like, okay, we should get this, uh, these spacecrafts finished so that, you know, once the window arrives, we don't miss it and we can actually take advantage of this opportunity. Yeah. It's like, and, and then that's why Voyager is such a profound mission. Right, because not not only because it's also one of oh we did not didn't talk about the biggest part about Voyager the fact that Voyager one is the first spacecraft to to achieve interstellar no interstellar right or mm-hmm. interplanet yeah interstellar and to receive to no wait <laughs> it's not interstellar it's still in the solar system no Voyager one has left the solar system no no it's no it's left the solar system but it's like still in the it still counts. It's not an interstellar medium. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I should have. Is it? Yeah, okay. Interstellar. Okay, so Voyager One is the first, uh, is the first spacecraft to achieve this interstellar travel because, and right now it is still moving away from us. Right, mm-hmm. it's moving away from us quite fast, and it's basically not really sending any signals. It's just moving through space time, and there's something very interesting that's on Voyager One mm-hmm. that I think yes Parker wants to talk about. One thing that I've been looking at online for a very long time and that i I wanted to buy (laughs) a copy a replica of which you can buy i think it's like a hundred dollars but it's not as cool obviously but it's the golden record and i'm sure i have a poster of it (laughs) oh yeah i do i do the poster yeah 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 yeah. um so the golden record i'll give a small debriefing if uh of course there are some people who don't know what it is it's it's a vinyl record but it's golden <laughs> that's why they call it yeah. the golden record all right and it contains relics i guess you can say information it contains songs uh greetings um in you know many languages of course it contains images and it contains sounds of nature every everything you can essentially think of that can be um, like heard or seen on the earth uh, was put on this on this disc and the reason for it was okay first reason was because we knew this would be the first spacecraft to leave our solar system and so uh, Carl Sagan was the chair of the committee that uh, organized the uh, the golden record and um, basically this committee decided what would go on the record. And I actually think it's a lot of pressure, right? Like if I asked you, what would you put on on a record that would go into interstellar space? That would be a very hard answer. I definitely because, have like... Because it's, it's the first one. It's the very first mm-hmm. one. And remember the point of this, the point of this is to hopefully one day it would reach like a another planet where an extraterrestrial life will be able to f- partly understand it i mean that is the actual goal of the golden not, record no not really you said you said the goal is to reach another planet no 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 That's well not... not reach another planet but like that it can be interpreted by another extraterrestrial life yeah. like for an extraterrestrial to find this not the region of the planet but to find the spacecraft if they can find the spacecraft 
and then they can probably decode this information because I believe there's also like a lot of like you know there, there's a circle square and like basic shapes and stuff like that that also like you know kind of symbolize diversity and life on earth the reason yeah. why there's a circle on and this is actually on the 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 cover of the disc is because there there are instructions and obviously the instructions on the the record aren't in english because we know our audience right our audience are non-english <laughs> non uh human or earth-like creatures so mm -hmm. it's just uh like images like small uh like little diagrams i guess you can say that can be interpreted or hopefully can be interpreted to uh be able to play the 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 record and to be able to see and hear the images and if you know anything about records they have to be um spun at a certain radial velocity in order to be able to hear everything properly and the reason why there's a, a circle on the cover is because if you decode the um the instructions properly on how to play the record the first thing you'll see is a circle and so if you decode the message you play the you, you play the the record you should be able to see a perfect circle and that's how you know you got it right because that's what you see on the disc right on the disc there's just a circle and there's a box around it to indicate like the screen right mm -hmm. so that's why there's a circle on it um i mean yeah i mean th that's pretty neat because if you think about it because i thought wait so there's nothing it's nothing like relating to like math or well i'm like sure that. i'm sure there are like mathematical things on mm -hmm. the disc but the reason why there's a circle as the first image is to make mm -hmm. sure you have it right because they could be playing it at any speed and then everything would mm -hmm. come out wrong right like the mm -hmm. images have to come out at a certain like the specific uh True. playback speed for them so, for it to be perfect right there are actually um 116 images mm -hmm. on the golden record and I think, uh, and and they're by various various artists. Like I'm just, I'm just like reading a few here. All over the world. And you world, were talking so. about like, yeah, all over the world, all over the world. Like greetings in 55 languages mm -hmm. is one of the tracks that's on there. You know, like they're. I, I think the idea is very nice. And if you think about it, like, if you, have you seen the movie Arrival? No. So this is, <laughs> so basically, like these these aliens arrive on Earth, and like they do all these weird signs, and everyone's like, what are they doing? And this one genius who who basically speaks all languages decodes the signs and can understand what they're saying. Wow. So I guess that is literally the point. It's, it's kind of like that where hopefully one day this record would either reach or the alien or an extraterrestrial would capture it or something and be able to decode it in the same way in that movie. Mm -hmm. so if you guys have seen that movie, that's a great movie. And funny thing about the Voyager is that it will most likely be i want to say voyaging just to throw a little pun in there but okay it'll it'll be out in space a long time after the human race has been extinct right it'll be it'll still be roaming through space after the sun has turned into a red giant and has enveloped the earth and right if we're not on mars yet then uh we'll we'll just be gone mm -hmm. um the point of this is to say that once, like, most probable situation will be that if the disc is heard by another form of life, 
um, it will be like of the past of the earth, right? It'll be like the only memory of life in mm-hmm. our corner of the universe, mm-hmm. which is pretty interesting. Think about it. If if it's found in like 20 million years, like we might not even be here. We might We might not even be on earth, you know? We might be in another... I mean, I'm obviously speculating. We might meet in another galaxy in 20 million years. I don't know what's going to happen. That's a pretty long time frame. Yeah, we might catch I mean, up long to it. Time frame. Sorry? We might catch up to it and grab it. Yeah, no, but the thing is, long time frame compared to us, but like in the universe, 20 million years is like nothing. So, you know, like if it reaches or it like an, uh, an extraterrestrial decodes it in 20 million years, it's a very big possibility that we are no longer on Earth. And mm-hmm. that's just... I mean, I guess you you can't really factor that in when you're doing something like this, right? Like it's all like <laughs> you have to just believe that it's it's found as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Last thing I wanted to say about um, the golden record is that if I were asked, just like briefly, like what would I put on the record? I would one hundred percent, right? Like I think the committee did a very good job of selecting things that go on on the record, but. I think it's just important to capture as much as you can about everything that, that we know, like culture, language, different, uh, different countries, water, you know, <laughs> lightning, things like that. Mm-hmm. And I know for sure all these things I just named are on the record, but it's, it's very hard to be like, oh, this doesn't deserve to go on the record, but this does. Mm-hmm. So just a little food for thought there. Moving on now to the apollo 11 mission oh the big one the moon just like bitcoin oh my (laughs) um (laughs) apollo 11 was in 1969 and was the july 20th july 20th very first time that humans um well actually it was launched july 16th you know i'm saying it landed july 20th yeah um it was the very first time that humans set foot on the moon. Very, very uh, monumental. Oh, very right? much so. Imagine, put yourself in the mind of a, a homo sapien <laughs> thousands of years ago, looking up at the moon. And imagine having the thought, what if we go there, you know? That never yeah. happened. I, I 100%, yeah. okay, 99.9% guarantee that, how could you even think of that, right? Mm-hmm. You, think, you think the world is flat and unlimited, right? You have, you have yet to find the border of the, the world. All you do is you just, you hunt, gather food, and you reproduce, I don't even think that was a thought in their minds at that time. Not even. Like it wasn't like they were like, okay, that's cool. Exactly. Imagine imagine realizing that the moon is a place that we can go and then actually going, landing, walking around, doing Mm -hmm. cool. We've been many, many, uh, multiple times now, but the Mm -hmm. very first time was definitely like mind boggling, at least to me. Mm -hmm. Right. Do you think it's sad or not? Maybe maybe sad is the correct. Again, you can describe it yourself. But do you think that it's sad that the only reason that we landed on the moon or initially mm. even thought about going to the moon was the Cold War? And like it, it, it originated from war. 
I don't know if it's sad. I think it's kind or, of. Or do you just? Or do you just think that's? I don't know. Because like I've always had. I think it's, it's always uh, been a thought. It's always been a thought because, like, sometimes you wish that you know. Because if we can do it now, right? In in 1969, like obviously the advancements, like technologically and like you know with with rocket fuel and engines and all that was there but all of that originated the whole space age because of the cold war right the whole the whole mm -hmm. idea of going to space started with that so imagine if instead of thinking about war and stuff like when as you were saying at the time where we were hunting for food let's say we're like hey what if we can go there mm -hmm. like imagine if we had stopped I'm just saying it's like a thought that if we could have done it in 1969, why couldn't we have done it in 1500s? Because like, it's what? not like, like, I, I'm just trying to say what we differentiates the, the two. We literally did not have the capability. Okay, maybe wait, 1500 is a little too early. Maybe 1500 about? is a little too early. But <laughs> we see, didn't the thing even is, have airplanes. <laughs> no, but see, the thing is, but the, see, the thing is, Okay, I guess I okay, I that guess that, that, no that, that's sense. a stupid argument. I guess that's a stupid argument. What are you talking about? <laughs> I guess that's a stupid argument. Yeah, yeah, that, that just made no sense. First of all, you need the science. You need the you need the aerospace engineering uh there's like, a lot of other the, factors the at knowledge, play. The knowledge, the There's a lot of other factors you, at play. Okay. Even, I mean I was like okay. even um the resources, like to build the rockets. I don't think they had access like in the fifteen hundreds they didn't have access to those. Okay, kinds again, of maybe fifteen hundreds was a little bit of an exaggeration, yeah. but like I don't know. I don't know. It's just I don't know. I feel like it came pretty pretty like timely, you know? The first airplane was in 1904, I want to say. And not less true. than 70 years later we're already on the moon. I think that's and that, pretty that early. That terror that that insanely exponential advancement happened because of space the space age. I know, but was. I feel like that's pretty like that's pretty quick. I don't think we could have okay, done yeah, it any so quicker just, than that. Just just disregard my entire last argument. <laughs> I'm thinking about it now more and more. Yeah. It doesn't really make much sense. I think we I actually, think you were thinking we were okay. about like the fact that if we were to focus like all of our energy on like That was the point the I was idea, trying to make, but like, there are a lot of early, other factors. How early yeah. can we get there if all we did was plan out a mission to the moon ever since, like, the dawn of time? I mean, I don't know. That would be pretty That would be pretty impressive. You know, like, looking at interplanetary travel from all the way back then, you know, like, advancements could have been faster yeah. and stuff like that. Like, that's just a thought that I had. I don't know. You know. But if I'm not mistaken, Apollo 11, right, was, was that not, like, the most viewed thing ever? Of, yeah, that's actually and, what like, I was about what's, to what's say. What's the number? Yeah. Imagine this, okay? In the 1960s, okay? The first moon landing is happening. There are 650 million live viewers. Wow. That's Who, insane. you know, like everyone nowadays has a phone, has a screen that they can watch whatever they want on. And it's, it is very hard to get an event nowadays that can get over half a billion live viewers <laughs> right there. And they were able to do it in the 1960s. So that is absolutely incredible. But I don't blame them. I would be watching it too. I'm sure <laughs> everyone who could have watched it did watch it. And oh, 100%. If I'm not mistaken, like in every school... 
they were like they were like nah nice the schoolwork we're watching the the moon landing right yeah they're now. actually that's probably what they did because <laughs> yeah. i mean this is as you said this is a monumental For advancement sure. Sure. so will the, the the mars landing like that to be honest might be a competitor mm-hmm for the num- for the number of live uh live viewers oh, it's gonna it's gonna like, overtake that easily. landing on mars easily. landing on the mo- landing on anything doing anything that is you know either really far up or like really down below like oceans like both of them have so many different characteristics and like you learn so much about both those experiences the first man or woman to walk on mars that event will be will have over 100 million viewers or sorry a billion live viewers watching i guarantee it easily with 7 billion people in the world that's also actually yeah okay what was the population in the in 1969 like 5 maybe i don't know 4 6 i don't know i have no I'm idea what population right changes that maybe, maybe maybe like 6 i'm not too sure actually let me this, just google this, this could be an interesting um, question but i was just going to say if you take like the total population in 1969 and compare it to the amount of live viewers that watched it it was 3 and a half billion 3 and a half billion yeah so that's like one was, that's like one really sixth wrong. of the entire is that right yeah, yeah that's right <laughs> it's about it's yeah. about it's about anyways give or take yeah so this would be one seventh wow Yeah. So that that would actually plus everyone's no, everyone so has a probably phone. be more. Everyone like has if a we're phone. talking percentage wise, yeah. we would it would probably be more. Yeah, definitely. Cuz also like everyone has a phone. Like everyone exactly. everyone can watch it at at any point in time. Mm-hmm. Also the the craziest thing about Apollo though is about the the moments near the landing. Right? Something really interesting was happening with the spacecraft. That is that is correct. So not a lot of people know this and I didn't know this before actually doing mm-hmm. a little bit of research while we were or before we recorded our part 1 of the rocket science series. But mm-hmm. there are there were actually some moments where um Apollo could have failed. The first moon landing. How atrocious would that be if you know I mean there were other attempts and like they didn't Really? Well, Apollo 9 if I'm not mistaken was Apollo 11 man we really need to check up on this really quick yeah so Apollo 9 was a human space flight flown low earth orbit okay so that was probably just to test out the stuff so i guess Apollo 11 was the first and first successful landing on the moon i'm happy I think, that yeah, okay. uh, i'm happy it was successful yeah yeah continue continue so 4 minutes into the landing sequence descending down onto the moon. Uh Neil Armstrong uh said into his little microphone he said program alarm. There was actually on their display there was an error and it was error 1202 that was displayed on the screen. And uh once again putting ourselves into the the minds of uh of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins. You are incredibly far from uh the earth about 1.2 light seconds away from the earth. And um you know, if you have to abort your lander right now, you are not you are not coming home, okay? You are either, you know, 
dying on the way down to the moon or dying on the moon or the abort wouldn't have killed them or anything like the entire point of the abort mission would be is that they can come home safely because if they wouldn't if they didn't abort and they did not land properly game over they, then they just could not return back unless how do you they abort, send a whole rescue mission how do you abort back because to it's Earth? not like you don't have any they, it's not like you don't have any fuel in your thing so okay so okay let me explain this. I, I, I love talking about this. So the lunar module, the lander, had two major components. The lander and the, the craft that basically takes off. So the idea is there's a decoupler in between these two almost separate spacecrafts. So once the, once the craft lands on the moon, right, there is literally that the lander just stays on the moon. It's just chilling there. And it, it's not, it doesn't get taken back up. But... There is a a part on the top that has enough fuel to completely return back to the uh, to the to the command module that's currently orbiting the moon. So the abort mission would have basically dropped the lander and they would have gone back to the command module. That would have been so so they wouldn't have died. They still would have had enough fuel, but the mission would have had to be aborted and that's they wouldn't have actually though. landed. No matter on the moon, what, sorry? no matter what, that's still risky. Oh yeah, I mean, all of these maneuvers, especially in 1969 when it was being done on like a like a 16-bit <laughs> processor or something. You could probably do it on like, your phone today. <laughs> like <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Right? Like, the, like <laughs> that's that's basically it, right? The like at that time with the technology, with everything, like that was so monumental. And then add on top of it all these small problems that are happening. Like it was just, mm -hmm. it was it was really scary, obviously for them. And I believe, if I'm not mistaken, was it? No, actually, I mean, okay, I I, I can't I can't say this because I'm not too sure. But I believe it was one of the people inside the landing module that said, "No, we won't abort it." I could be wrong. I could be wrong. But I think it was something like that, and it was a pretty interesting story. But anyways, Apollo 11 has a really cool, a really cool landing story. And, and this is mainly the reason. Imagine it just hit the rock. It just wouldn't have, but like, it would just know? be on its side and just it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been able to do anything. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's, uh, be sad. that's a scary situation. Yeah. But do you know sure. how long they actually stayed on the moon for? Time-wise? Yeah. Because the idea was the command oh, module. Oh, here it is. Here it is. The, uh, had to Armstrong do one and Aldrin spent... 21 hours 36 minutes on the moon's surface that's not one orbit that's not one orbit then yeah after that's a rest a period more. that included seven hours of sleep the ascent stage engine fired at 124 ascent hours. stage ascent stage yeah. that was the word i was looking for yes the landing and the ascent stage the ascent mm. ascent that was the word i was looking for wow. yeah, yeah yeah so so that so that would have taken place in the hopefully not but like in the abort section like that would have happened mm -hmm. that would have need to happen so yeah, talking yeah, yeah. about going new places okay okay i've been uh, i've been telling ray about this idea that i had for i think over a week now and i i saved it specifically for the podcast just so that he can have his uh, organic reaction to what i'm gonna okay say here. oh yeah okay. i was waiting for that you know feel free to chime in whenever you want okay but here's an idea okay let's talk about colonization okay and let's compare it to uh the europeans going over to America, okay? And I'm just going to call, like, America as in the, the continent, okay? So, back in the day, right, we're in the 1500s, and you have, uh, you know, there's there's a debate about whether 
um, the the Europeans actually were aiming for um, India or whether they they actually knew where they were going uh, directly across the ocean. But let's just pretend like they knew exactly where they were going, okay? So they, they built a, a bunch of boats and they're like, okay, let's go and see what's what's across the ocean. And this was pretty much like a suicide mission because you didn't really you didn't really know if anything was there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but you reach you reach the other side and you do find that there's a continent there, another a whole another world essentially, and you decide to colonize it. So what is it what does it mean to colonize it? Right? First you send over a couple of people and you you form a a colony and you try to reproduce and you try to make your own uh like your own um copy of the civilization that you had back in your homeland right the thing that separated uh europe and america in the day was the ocean which let's pretend is like a a two-dimensional um a two-dimensional space Right. Mm-hmm. And even if even if we we take into consideration the, the curvature of the earth, you can still say that you, you remain at all times on the surface of this two dimensional um, this two dimensional surface of the of the ball. Um, so there's only one way to get there. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to get on a boat and travel across on this two dimensional surface. Right. And obviously, the more people you send over f- from Europe to America, the easier it becomes, right? Because you have more people, more tasks can be done, the more you can reproduce and just build a bigger community and, and, and thrive, right? Mm-hmm. Now, let's fast forward to our day right now, before even having uh, sent humans to Mars, right? So in this case, it's different, right? Because the thing that's separating the Earth and Mars is three-dimensional, which mm-hmm. means that uh, if you, you know, the fastest way to get there, comparing to um, the, the Europeans, their fastest way was just a straight line um, on a two-dimensional Or a seemingly surface. straight line. Yeah, seem- it's seemingly like, straight on, line. on a curved surface. Yeah. Seemingly straight line, right? You just, you put the boat down and you go. Um, in mm. our case, the fastest way is to, um, well... Okay, let's not take into consideration the the slingshot of the moon or other possible ways that we can actually get to Mars. But, you know, from the Earth system, it's just a straight line directly intercepting the orbit of Mars, right? But here's where it becomes interesting. And here's where maybe a door can be opened into a new, okay. into a new um, part of physics and engineering, Okay. Today, 500 years after uh, we colonized America, not we, but, you know, no, the humans, we, humans we colonized <laughs> America, humans colonized America. There is now a new way to go across the ocean, right? You don't have to be stuck to this two dimensional plane. You can actually access the third dimension through airplanes. Flying. Okay. And, you know, how much safer, faster and uh, cost-efficient, I guess, <laughs> um, it is to take a plane rather than taking a boat, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think so. 
because <laughs> like cargo and stuff like cargo planes i believe are a lot more expensive than just putting cargo on okay ships. but i'm talking about like um like if you were to go across the ocean in like a like a small plane like just a passenger plane okay versus i guess that wouldn't be but you're comparing a small passenger plane to a ship now like if you're comparing a small passenger plane to a small boat the boat's going to be cheaper if you're comparing a plane to a ship the ship's going to be cheaper so okay it's not cheaper but i understand your like, point I okay let's point. let's not say yeah. cheaper dollar wise but i'm saying cheaper in terms of saving time <laughs> your your own I guess, time I guess that's, saving that's saving food saving you know potential dangers of the ocean right Mm -hmm. instead of just flying right over it right Mm -hmm. so let's take this analogy right of the two-dimensional travel between continents versus our modern way of accessing a third dimension and going like back in the 1500s as we discussed earlier on the podcast people weren't even thinking about airplanes right the the only thing that was flying were birds that's (laughs) it you know, people like Leonardo da Vinci were trying to build like these weird like wooden helicopters, but nothing worked and everyone thought it was impossible until the um, hot air balloon. But no one thought that like a bird-like machine, like an airplane, was possible until the 20th century. So now let's fast forward, let's say 100 years, where sending a rocket to Mars seems like a primitive way to go to mars what if the 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 modern way in the future the modern way to get to mars will be accessing the higher dimension of travel now see that just like, is where but hold no, on no, no, no hold no, on see. no hold on hold on just like humans in the past they genuinely thought that flying was impossible accessing that third dimension was genuinely impossible. The only way to do it was to go on a boat. See, no, see, see, that is where you can't really say that because I think, again, first of all, people probably didn't even know about true, like, two, three-dimensional things and, like, what the differences were, but let's say they did. Then... Wait, what? We are still... We are still three-dimensional beings. So going on a one-dimensional straight line, obviously that's impossible, but I'm just trying to give the example. One-dimensional absolute straight line or two-dimensional plane or three-dimensional, we can do all of that because we are three-dimensional. To say that we access the fourth dimension to go on Mars. That's where you're wrong. Because you are thinking like just because we didn't, know that there were three dimensions back then we are we certain we knew okay sorry we did know we didn't even but comprehend we also knew, that it was possible yes but we know for a fact that we cannot perceive the fourth dimension that is something that we cannot do so when you say three-dimensional beings are using three-dimensional ways of traveling it makes sense because that's the highest possible they can go so when they were on two they're like oh crap I don't know if we can do three. But the thing is, we are three-dimensional characters. So going to that third dimension might be hard, but it's something inevitable because we can do it. But going to a higher dimension, like the fourth dimension, is something that at least still today's technology, like we we don't. You're not foreseeing right now. So you're saying we will be able to access the fourth dimension. Okay, but listen to this idea right here. And how would that help? But listen to this, okay? If we can go 
from planes to spaceships in under a hundred years. Okay, you're telling me that you know you're. Are are you really telling me that you're talking about dimensions here, man? Listen to what I'm saying right now. Okay, you're telling me that we have found the most efficient. Way Absolutely not. Farthest from exactly. what I'm saying. Exactly. I'm just saying four-dimensional travel is not going to happen, Ray, though. Okay. It's not going to be the fourth dimension. Don't call it four-dimensional travel. Don't call it that. Call it whatever you want to call it. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying there will be some, like, weird technology that we cannot even think of right now. Oh, oh. Oh, that oh have, okay. But it if will you're just have talking do... about some advancing technology, I 100% agree. No, but with here's you. the thing. Of course. In in terms but... of four dimensions, I'm not talking about four spatial dimensions. I'm talking that is about, what I thought you were I'm saying. talking about the three plus one dimension. Oh, you're really going to pull that on me. I'm talking about... That is about... not what I thought this entire time. I thought you were talking about four dimensional no. travel. Here's, here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about some type of craft... That can utilize the space-time three plus one dimensions that we live in. And it's going to be a technology that can bend space-time in order to create like your own gravitational Mm -hmm. personal field that can travel insanely quick, insanely, you know. Yeah, I mean, see, that I agree with. That I agree with. I definitely seeing something like that happening because that is truly a breakthrough that obviously would, it's not like it's going to happen tomorrow, but it's truly something that would advance travel, interstellar travel forever, right? Because if we can figure something like that out, because the what's the biggest problem with using rockets right now, right? It's engineering. Yeah, like obviously the, the engineering will help us get to that level but the biggest pro- the, the biggest problem with rockets right now is the fuel how we store the fuel mm-hmm. and the fact that however big we make the rocket that fuel does not last very long or at least for far distances we need a fuel-less rocket and just like the biggest tesla problem is to cars we need a tesla the big- rocket man <laughs> the biggest problem the biggest problem with interstellar travel is time the fact that it takes mm-hmm. 25,000 years to travel, like, yeah. I don't know. A light okay, year I mean, I'm not going to give a number, but it takes basically a very long time to travel a very short distance, astrophysically speaking. Like, in astrophysical measures, like, you know, with one parsec and three light years and ten light years, in those, in those uh, measurements, mm-hmm. we will take thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of years. To go those distances That's not with true, our technology actually. right now. That's not true. Think about it. Think about it like this. And also keep in mind the exponential rate of advancement. Okay. Let's say 50,000 years ago. What is your, let's say your radius. Um, and well, I'll use this. I'll define radius in a sec. But, but ask the question, what is your life radius? And what I mean by that is, how far can you travel in one lifetime? 50,000 years ago, you're on foot or you're on some type of canoe or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is your radius? Let's say, I can't even put a number to it. Yeah, it's not. It's, it's, it's kind of like it's a... It's very like local, a, right? <laughs> it's, it's an idea. It's an, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's very local. Can't really measure it. In terms it's, of it's one just, lifetime. It's a concept. It's very yeah. local. Yeah. Now, fast forward 50,000 years to the present. What is our life radius or our possible life radius? 
we can go to Mars potentially in our lifetime, which means our life radius is a um, couple million kilometers, right? Oh, okay. A lot more than a lot more than a couple million, but you know, uh, yeah. in, in terms in, in the millions of kilometers, right? Yeah. So in, I don't think that's how you can look at it, though. No, but like. I, I mean, mean, it's, that, I mean, type I mean it's, not, it's not only Mars. Like, we can go to Saturn if we wanted to. Like, it's just no, like, but we I'm don't. saying like, and and like, still live. You know, like you can't really go to Saturn and live your no, entire life. No, but why are you life. putting it at Mars? Like, Mars is just. I'm saying like we can potentially go to much farther distances than Mars. No, but again, we, no, we can't. You can't bring enough food with you to go all the way to. Do you know how long that's gonna take? Yeah, but you're talking about can... like another 50,000 years. Yeah, but uh, imagine our life radius in in a thousand years. It's going to be not galaxies, but it's going to be almost a galaxy, Yeah, but right? to be honest, I see this only happening with a super advancement in fuel types. It's inevitable. Right? It's obviously inevitable. Because right now, the fuel that we use, the different types of fuel that we use that I actually kind of do want to get into before we end this podcast because I, I think that's a really interesting topic, like the different fuels used by the rockets today and what we could see for, you know, potential space travel. Because when we're out there, when we're in space, fuel, even though is obviously not very good, forgetting about time, because obviously that's, that's the biggest issue, fuel isn't a problem. Because we have like, you know, engines such as like ion engines, for example, that literally use the ionization of elements to produce power, to produce propulsion. But again, this would only work in space because it needs a vacuum. If there's any atmospheric drag, any, it's a very low thrust to weight ratio, which is basically like how much force this engine puts out per kilogram of its weight. So it's a very low ratio. So you kind of need to do this in space. So, the, so we do have good fuel. We have good fuel. The problem is time. That is the biggest problem that we're dealing with. So something like a wormhole, you know, that we're like, even though it sounds completely fictional, like any kind of discovery of an anti-gravitational substance, you know, that, that can like dark energy, for example, that's like that, that's like the biggest candidate for like a wormhole, right? Anything that can repel, that can oppose gravity would hypothetically be able to open up a wormhole. So keeping that stable requires this negative dark energy almost. So if we can come up with a wormhole and we can obviously understand the science behind where we have to place it and all that stuff, because I don't obviously know, really no one knows how that works. Like that would truly be insane. If we can make a wormhole, imagine, and we just walk to Mars. Yeah, that's like, like teleportation. Just casually walking to Mars, just from Earth. <laughs> like, it's like a bridge. I mean, obviously, that that's not how a wormhole works, but I'm just trying to give you, an, like, I'm just saying that could be, like, the theoretical concept, right? And that, that would be truly, in, like, interstellar possible. The domestication of wormholes. The domestic. <laughs> Imagine everyone has a, everyone has a wormhole in their house, just like, you know, you want to, you want to pop by? I think by, pop that, by, anywhere? by that time, um, we're not going to be... Like life is gonna be very different. It's not. Gonna oh yeah, we're not gonna be on Earth for sure. Like everyone's gonna be everywhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's that's the whole point, right? We're gonna be everywhere. It's probably gonna be but, hard to make friends. Yeah. You know, like everyone's if you everywhere. Have everywhere. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because you know, one one day I'm just like across the universe, and I'm never gonna see anyone that like. That's true. That I mean, that's a pretty sad life to live, to be honest. Yeah. But uh, I mean, I I definitely see it. I definitely see it. But 
getting ahead of ourselves because we are talking about wormholes here. Let's talk about the fuel types we have now. Are you right? sure, there are very you, sure many you want types. to do that now, though? It's already been like <laughs> quite a bit. I mean, like it's an hour, hour and five minutes. We can, we can, I don't know. Okay. I mean, you can go I really ahead because I don't know anything about, about fuel types. So. Sorry? You can go ahead because I don't know anything about fuel types. No, because like, see, I, I personally think like, especially because we're talking about all inter, like because you brought up the idea of, you know, colonization and interplanetary travel. I think it's an important idea to know what our fuel is doing and like how our fuel works like this might be a little just words here and there that i'm saying but i think i mean i think it's an interesting idea just to know how these rockets are working right so like the most basic from the shuttle from the space shuttle which is probably uh, which was our logo for um which was our picture for rocket science part one the the huge solid rocket boosters on the side of the uh, space shuttle are made of well as it's called solid fuel so solid fuel is literally, it's like, uh, it's, it, it can be many different elements. Like some people use like ammon uh, ammonium perchlorate. They can use potassium nitrate, like different materials. Idea being, if let's say you light this material, right? It continues lighting and it produces a lot of power and it continues lighting till it's completely depleted. So the thing with solid fuel engines is that the moment you light it, you can't stop. So it's just, so the idea is to get it. So solid fuel boosters are really helpful when we are lifting off the ground. Only problem is, again, you can't control it. So it poses a lot of problems. And also it's, you know, like a, it's a whole engineering what, technique. What stops the booster yeah. from exploding? Why would it ex? Because like it's it still like a, a very good, of uh, it's still a very good casing. Remember, it's a casing that's around it. It's just like granular substances inside of this casing. And then when you light it, like when you ignite that the granular gets substance, too, like the pressure on the inside, yeah, because it's being lit, it yeah. gets, it, it's overwhelming and then just no. But again, where yeah, where is that pressure going? Right, there's an engine, there's an exhaust at the bottom, so that all that pressure is forced out the bottom, right? And that's how the rocket moves. Mm -hmm. Like that, that's the whole that's the whole solid rocket booster, right? Now the thing is, obviously, even though it's really cool, there are a lot of other better uses like other like other fuel types such as liquid fuel right now liquid fuel is the most like is the most insane one because everyone uses it nowadays you know elon musk is 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 uh making his new bfr rocket using methane using a combination of methane which uh, you, when you liquefy it you can combust it with oxygen and it produces fuel why methane because it can be found in mined on mars so hypothetically, if this rocket were to go to Mars, it can refuel on Mars and then come to Earth. So like, I think that's also a very good use of a lot of these liquid fuels, right? Most common liquid fuel you'll find is liquid kerosene and liquid oxygen. Now, liquid kerosene is literally the stuff you put in your cars, but like a lot, a lot higher, <laughs> a lot higher quality, of course. Like it's called RP1, which is a refined propellant, I believe, right? Like something like I think it's refined propellant one, and that's your liquid kerosene. So the idea is when both of these substances, like liquid kerosene and liquid oxygen, when they touch each other, nothing really happens. So you kind of need a spark. You need to ignite it. And now, okay, man, this is gonna this is getting really technical because I'm thinking of the stuff <laughs> I'm gonna say, and there's some pretty big words coming up. I'll just <laughs> say that. I'll just say that. So maybe just give a brief explanation. Brief explanation. Okay, brief explanation. So these fuels, a lot of these fuels, they don't ignite by themselves. If we have liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen, 
All we need is like a spark plug. You know what's in your car, what lights up your engine? Like a glorified spark plug. If you light it and there's oxygen, hydrogen, you light it, it produces energy. And that can be then turned into liquid, uh, into, into basically like, you know, rocket fuel. Then we have this kerosene that I'm now talking about. Kerosene is interesting because kerosene and oxygen don't really, don't really mix very well. So we need this element that, uh, oh, this is such a complicated name. Whenever I say this, people are going to be like, oh no. So it's called triethyl aluminum triethyl borane. It's called TTEB. That's the short form. So TTEB is this element that when you mix it with oxygen, it's pyrophoric. What that means is it combusts with oxygen. So the moment it's in the air, the moment, not the air, but the moment it touches that liquid oxygen, it starts flaming, it starts combusting. And the kerosene on top of that is then what makes the rocket fuel. So that's the most widely used. The reason that the hydrogen is not very used is because you have to keep that at really, really cold temperatures. And the problem, of course, with that is that you can't do that in like very long space travel. Like if we're, let's say, going, you know, really far, then sometimes it can be hard to like, you know, not let the hydrogen evaporate. And we have some other fuel types, of course. I don't actually want to get into all of them because they are, they do get very complicated. But I do want to talk about one more really special one. One that does not require a, 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 uh, a, like a spark. It doesn't require anything. The moment these two elements touch each other, whew, it starts. <laughs> and there's a huge ignition. Problem obviously being that it, like, even a small crack in the two fuel tanks, and this actually happened on a Russian rocket, small crack explodes the whole thing because it just ignites the moment they come in contact. Mm -hmm. And this is... <laughs> All complicated words. So unsymmetrical dimethyl hydrazine and no unsymmetrical di wait unsymmetrical dimethyl hydrazine and dinitrogen tetroxide, two elements and these are called hypergolic fluids. When they touch each other, when they mix, they combust. And these are the three main types of of, of you know liquid engine fuel that I wanted to talk about. Might have been. Boom. Yeah, quite a ride. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I bored some people there, but I think I think it's a really interesting thing, like to know like the different fuel types, to know the different ways that they work, why people use them, stuff like that. Because you know, like this is the future, at least to now. Like assuming that we're going to be continuing with rocket fuel and all that stuff, mm -hmm. this is the future. So just knowing more about this, knowing about how this works, I think is kind of important. In, especially in a rocket science episode awesome 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 so if uh you enjoyed listening to this episode of the podcast make sure to check out other episodes we have tons we have 48 other episodes um <laughs> you can also beautiful uh follow the podcast rate the podcast five stars on apple podcasts and also ask us some questions. Come join our live streams on Instagram at math.physics.podcast. And the same thing also on TikTok where we post our clips. Um, started posting some TikToks. That's right. That's right. So that's about it. Thank we you for listening. We didn't talk about SpaceX, eh? Well, we can always do a part three. Yeah, we, uh, to be honest, see, that's the thing, you know, like these, there's so many things that Parker and I plan to talk about because we're always like, yo, we're not, we're not going to have enough to talk about. So let's like list all these things. And then we get all really excited about all these things. And then we're talking, we're talking and it's like one hour and we're like, well, we still have like four more things to talk about, you know? So yeah, 
that that we can usually happens come like back that. to usually it. happens so thank you once again for listening this has been episode number 49 of the math and physics podcast i'm your host parker and i'm ray and we will see you soon bye guys <laughs>